Well, last week, the message that I tried to bring to the church, we talked about a couple of things. And the first thing that we talked about, or some we spent some time on, was how salvation works. So how does, how does God save an individual sinner from their sins? Um, and we, we mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, there's a, there's a parenthetical statement that says, For by grace you are saved. That's all it says. And, and I tried to make the point that if your idea of how God saves individual sinners or, or groups of sinners or however God saved his people from their sins involves anything that the man, the person, man or woman, that individual has to do, then it, by its very nature, it couldn't fit into that parenthetical statement because it wouldn't be by grace alone, right? Grace alone is unmerited favor, meaning that you didn't do anything to merit the grace that was given. It's grace, right? It's unmerited favor. That's very important to understand as you're reading the Bible, as you're trying to understand the Bible, is to understand that salvation is by grace alone, period. And then we talked about the purpose of the gospel. You know, why did God give us the good news of salvation? And I think the most uh, important passage of scripture to, to answer that question is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and that's what we spent the most of our time looking at, where Paul is writing to Timothy and he says that, that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Now that fits into that parenthetical statement doesn't it that it was not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ before the world began but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel he says that the gospel did not bring life the gospel did not bring immortality but it shined light, it manifests the life and immortality that God's people already had. So the gospel is given to shine light or to open your eyes unto the grace that saved you. Does that make sense this morning? That's what the gospel was, was that's the purpose of the utility of the gospel. But there are, and it's important that you understand those two points, because there are passages of scripture in the Bible, that if you're just reading them, that you could get the idea that the gospel or the word of God or the preaching of the gospel plays some kind of role in salvation and certainly it does but if you understand it when I say salvation and your deliverance right God uses we've, we've talked about how God uses his words to give you peace or how God uses his word to sanctify you but when it comes to eternal salvation if you understand that's all by grace nothing you do and you understand the purpose of the gospel you can better understand those scriptures that may seem to indicate that God is using the gospel in some, as some sort of means or the preaching of the gospel or the ministry of the gospel as a, as a way to save his people. You know, Paul told Timothy in the next chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is, that is to cut straight is, is literally what that, that word means, to handle the truth in a way that is 
correct and direct. Um, and so when we are studying the Bible, that's, that's my job and that's your job. As we're studying the Bible, we're not trying to separate truth from error, right? Is there any error in the Bible? No. There are other things we don't understand in the Bible. There's a lot of things I don't understand in the Bible. I heard Brother Charles Kitchens, he was given a charge at an ordination for a minister one time, and he said, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand, and there's some things in the Bible I do understand. He said, I preach the things I understand. <laughs> that made me feel a lot better hearing that from him. Um, but we're not trying to separate truth from error when we study the Bible. We're trying to understand how the truth fits together, right? And if we can't understand how two verses um, square together in the Bible, the problem's not with the Bible, the problem's with us, right? So I want to look at some scripture today that some would use to... Um, to try to prove that the gospel plays a part in the eternal salvation of individual sinners, but I don't believe that. This church doesn't believe that, and so let's look at what, what are these verses talking about, and so I want to begin in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 14, Paul says that he's, he's preaching to, he's, he's writing a letter to the church at Rome, and he says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He says in verse 15, so as much as in me is, he is, he's eager, right? As, as much as in me is, he's got this desire to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul is saying here that, that there is this great desire inside of me to come unto you and to preach the gospel to you. He, he doesn't say that, 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 there is, that my desire is to come and, and to preach a message of how you can live a better life or how you can be a better spouse or how you can deal uh, with your finances biblically. Those are all good things, aren't they? But that's not the main message that mankind needs. The main message, you get all that in church. You should. If you're, if you're rightly dividing the word of truth, if you're preaching the Bible, uh, those things will come. But the main message that the Apostle Paul wanted to give to the church at Rome is the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and salvation through him. And he says, as much as in me as I am forward in my spirit to go to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome. For I am not ashamed, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, when he he gives us that definition of what the gospel is, what the gospel does. In verse 8, I believe it is, before he makes that, he says, he tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And, and that's a, that, is a, uh, that is something that, that Christians have to deal with, is there is a certain amount of, of, of public pressure that is placed upon God's people when they're truly following the gospel of grace. Do you understand that? The gospel of Christ. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of people in the world that do not like the gospel. <laughs> it's foolishness to them. It's absurdity to them. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want you to talk about it. There's even God's children today that if you start to talk about the gospel of grace, grace alone, that don't understand that. They'll become defensive about that, right? So it, he's saying unto Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel, the testimony of our Lord. And now he's telling uh, this church at Rome, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's how we should all be, isn't it? That we should be, uh, you know, we should just 
be eager and, and forward and our desire should be uh, for the true gospel because I think we're going to see today that there is power in the gospel. That's what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God. It has inherent power because it's been blessed of God. Do y'all see that? The gospel doesn't have power in itself, but he it says it's the power of God, meaning that God had given this power to the gospel, to the preached word, unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he's saying there's, there's salvation uh, through believing in this gospel. For therein, listen to this now, in the, in the gospel, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. What did we talk about the gospel does, right? It reveals something that was uncovered, that was covered. It uncovers something that was veiled or covered. And so the gospel, in the, in, in, in the power that is in the gospel, is that it unveils to you the righteousness of God. It doesn't make the righteousness of God effectual to you, right? But it shows you the righteousness of God. He says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. One, one of the most important things I think that you can understand is that you don't believe the gospel to be saved. You believe the gospel because you are saved, right? There's a big difference. It's, it's the cause and effect to understand, or as many people would say you believe the gospel in order to be saved, John would teach that anybody that believes in Jesus is born again. They've already been born again. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. But the reason that the gospel has this inherent power uh, to save those who embrace it. Now notice this salvation is only to those uh, who embrace it or believe in it or, or trust in it. It was given to the Jews first and also to the Greek. And, and by the way, it's from faith to faith, from somebody that has faith to somebody that already has faith. Do you all see that? If God hasn't already worked on you and given you the gift of faith, the gospel means nothing to you. But the reason that the gospel is so powerful to those who embrace it is because the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel uncovers the plan that God set forth to give righteousness to an unrighteous group of people. See, for thousands of years, it was veiled. It was unknown. There was glimpses of it through the sacrificial law, and we looked at some of that last week. But, but there are statements like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 that says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Speaking of what God did through Christ, tra uh, you know, transitioning Christ's, righteousness to us and our unrighteousness to Christ on the cross to make us righteous before a holy God. For thousands of years, people didn't understand how that worked. But clearly, through the, through the Holy Spirit and through the, the preaching and the, and the teaching of the Apostle Paul, of Peter, of Jesus, of the, of the early disciples, we now see clearly how God made people righteous. And that, 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 that is what the gospel does. It unveils the righteousness of God. The gospel, um, what the, the gospel does is it saves you from not knowing how you were saved. That's what the gospel does, right? It saves you from not knowing how you were saved. Let's go to Romans chapter 9.
as he's concluding this chapter, the Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. That's a key word, faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, this is a set of works or commandments, right? They followed after the law of righteousness, have not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as, as it were by the works of the law. So they are, they are seeking a righteousness by keeping a set of commandments. Do y'all see that? For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a, rocks of, a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him, this is Jesus, shall not be ashamed. What he's, what he's saying there is, is that those that believe on Jesus won't suffer shame. They won't suffer, uh, you know, they won't be confused by guilt. Their conscience will be set free. They will experience something. So, so the Gentiles, which, which sought righteousness through faith, were experiencing something that Israel was not experiencing because they were seeking something by their own works, where the Gentiles were seeking it through faith. And so he says here that whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Have you ever, have you ever felt shame for something that you've done? Guilt over your sin? You know, in the beginning it says they were the man and the woman. They were naked. They weren't ashamed. But sin came into the world, and we began to experience shame and guilt. And you try to relieve that guilt. Uh, many people try to relieve that guilt through many things. Uh, but if you try to relieve your guilt through works, it will not work. Do you all understand that? It may work for a momentary season, but ultimately trying to relieve your guilt or your shame through actions or keeping commandments will not work. It can only be achieved through faith in Jesus. Um, Elder Joe Holder pastor's church in, in California, he wrote this in his commentary on the book of Romans. He says, for Paul, justification by faith does not describe how unregenerate people come to experience the new birth, but rather how regenerate elect people come to the assurance and knowledge of God's work in Christ that gives them joy and peace in the midst of life's trials and disappointments. That is the biblical doctrine of justification by faith, is that through faith we experience peace and joy and righteousness through Christ, through our faith in Christ on this earth. Does that make sense? Through the trials, through the temptations, when you, when you feel that shame, and the only way you can truly relieve that is through placing your faith, which God gave you, in Jesus, right? in the true gospel of grace. So we say, does the, does, the, does the true gospel of grace really matter? <laughs> See, because we believe, as, as, as grace alone, primitive Baptist believers, we believe that, um, that God's going to save his people from their sins irregardless of what happens in this life, right? Whether they hear the gospel, whether they, um, 
live righteously in this world? If you're one of God's people, we believe that God is going to save you. That's what the angel believed when the angel told Joseph that Jesus shall save his people from their sins. He didn't add any kind of, there wasn't an asterisk that said if they do this or do that. Just simply said that Jesus will save his people or shall save his people from their sins. So we talked last week about those who may minimize the importance of the gospel knowing that. Well, I want to show you how important, I hope to show you, the Lord will be my helper today, how important this gospel truly is to God's people here and now. So let's go to, to chapter 10 and verse 1 after, after Paul had just quoted uh, that whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He begins verse 1 of chapter 10 by saying this, brethren, he's, he's talking to his fellow believers there at Rome, my heart's desire the wish of my heart, the thing that I'm thinking about. Y'all have all had desires, right? Hearts, desire, something that's on your mind, on your heart. Uh, maybe it's for a child, maybe it's for a, a spouse, maybe whatever it is. Well, Paul is saying that my heart's desire, the wish of my heart, and my prayer, my, my, my petition to God for Israel. And, and you can go back to, to, to Romans chapter 9 and see that, that not just because they were of natural Israel doesn't mean they were the children of God, but there was a people out of Israel that God had already uh, worked on, right? They were chosen people of God. And he says, my prayer for them, for Israel, is that they might be saved, that they could be rescued or delivered. And so it's always important when you're reading the Bible, if you see that there's a salvation uh, under consideration, that you ask yourself really two important questions. What are the, the group of people who are being saved, who are being delivered, what are they being delivered from, and what are they being delivered to, right? There's always a salvation from something and a salvation to something. The Apostle Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he said, save yourselves from this untoward generation, right? They were going to be saved from an untoward generation and to the church of Jesus Christ. They were going to live as disciples in the church, right? Well, here Paul is saying, brethren, my heart's desire. I can almost feel the Apostle Paul. Can't you just pouring out his heart in this letter? My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So the question... <laughs> Y'all remember Elder Obey, who was, uh, many of y'all were here. I, can, I, I, I never got to know him, but I've listened to his, I believe it was his ordination sermon. And he would ask that question. Uh, they asked him in the questioning, I believe it was, if someone asked you, how do you get saved, what would you tell them? And his answer was, I would say, saved from what? <laughs> because you can be saved from many things in this life, right? So you ask yourself the question, what is Paul praying to God that, that this group of people would be saved from. He says, for I bear them record, verse 2. Paul says, I'm willing to affirm to you that I have witnessed with my own eyes. I have seen proof positive. I've experienced something. I bear them record that they have a zeal, a passion, um, a, a desire that is of God. Listen to what he says. They have a zeal of God. That two-letter word, of, is very important in this context because that shows where the, where the zeal came from, right? Many people have a zeal for a lot of things. If you watched football yesterday, there were people that had zeal, right? They were cheering for their teams. They had zeal. Um, there, there are people that have zeal for very wicked things, right? Uh, you couldn't say that, that somebody has a, a, a zeal for uh, promoting very wicked things in our society. That doesn't, you couldn't say that's a zeal of God, right? 
But here, the Apostle Paul, by the way, not just his opinion, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is the Holy Spirit's opinion, right? And so, through the Holy Spirit, it was very important that we learn that they have a zeal that is of God. So that denotes where it comes from. But, Paul says, not according to knowledge. It wasn't according to the truth or a correct knowledge about God. So we're starting to understand what Paul is wanting them to be delivered from or saved from. Verse 3 says, for they being ignorant. That means they don't, that's, that's not a, he's not putting them down. He's saying they don't know something, right? They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish or to set up their own righteousness have not submitted themselves. <laughs> that means to relinquish control. Y'all understand that? Does some of y'all have, does anybody struggle with relinquishing control of things? <laughs> I know I do, uh, and I know y'all do. <laughs> That's how people are, right? We want to be in control, don't we? But he says, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So when we start answering the question, saved, what are they being saved from? Well, here Paul says they are ignorant of God's righteousness. Paul is praying to God, his heart's desire, his passion for his family, for his people. for his I mean, these were the people that he grew up with. This is the people that knew him. These are the people that, that he loved. And he says, my, my prayer and desire to God is that they would be saved from the ignorance that they are in. From, 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 from not knowing something, that they would be saved from, listen to what he says. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. These are people who are daily trying to keep that, what he calls there, the law of righteousness. They're trying to keep commandments. They're trying to keep rules. They're trying to keep regulations in order that they could somehow establish or set up their own righteousness before God. And he says, my prayer for them is that they would be saved from that. That they would have a knowledge, be delivered from that works-based system of trying to establish their own righteousness. Brother Vernon Johnson, I'll quote him in his commentary on Romans, he said, he said that these people were attempting to get right with God when God had already made them right with him. <laughs> do y'all see that? That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's what they were trying to do. Israel... The people of God within the nation of Israel that were zealous for God, zealous for the word of God, zealous for the God of their fathers, but they didn't understand that something had changed, right? They didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand that they didn't have to work their way into heaven. In, in, in the book of Acts chapter 15, there's the, this Jerusalem council where there were Pharisees that were teaching that it was, it, was, it was important that the Gentiles would be circumcised after the manner of Moses, that you would keep these laws to obtain righteousness. So they take that to the elders of the church, in the early church, and the Apostle Peter in verse 11 of Acts 15 makes this statement. If you, want to know, if you want to know what the early church believed about salvation, listen. He says, but we believe that through the grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor, right? What's that parenthetical statement, Ephesians 2, 5? For by grace you are saved. Peter says, for that we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Peter is saying God doesn't have one way to save uh, the, the Israelites and one way to save the Gentiles. God has one way to save everybody, and it's by grace. 
And everybody that's ever been saved and everybody that ever will be saved is going to be saved the exact same way by grace. But listen to what he says in verse 10. He asks those that are teaching this, he says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He's saying those people who are going about and teaching that, yeah, salvation is by grace, but you still need to keep uh, the commandments. You still need to be circumcised. You still need to keep the dietary laws. You still need to, to, to go back and do what Moses told us to do, the law that he gave us. He says, you're putting a yoke upon their neck that our fathers couldn't bear <laughs> and that we cannot bear. The Apostle Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3, I believe it is, that the law... The law was our schoolmaster. It was our tutor. The law was our teacher. Let's, 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 let's pick that up real quick so I don't uh, misquote it. In Galatians, if you're wondering about why was the law given, was the law ever given that someone could be made righteous? The Apostle Paul did not believe that. He says in verse 24 of Galatians chapter 3, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. It was, it was, it was, the one, it was our tutor. It was our teacher. It was our schoolmaster. To bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. See, the law was never given so that someone could meet all the criteria of the law and then come out and say, well, I am now justified. The law was given, the, really the purpose of the whole law, these, all these laws was given to show you, you can't be perfect, right? You are messed up. You don't have it together, and you need a Savior. That was the purpose of the law. And so uh, the, the Apostle Peter is saying, why are you trying to bring back these laws and these restrictions and these regulations and put them upon these believers when we all know that salvation has to be through grace alone? And so back to Romans chapter 10 these people that Paul is praying for, his friends, his family, these are people who are not living according to the gospel of grace. They haven't been blessed to see it. They haven't submitted themselves unto it. But they're living through a gospel of works. Um, two chapters over in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, see, see the church at Galatia was... The gospel had been perverted in that region um, uh, uh, of the Middle East. So Paul starts that whole letter by talking about the purity, the importance of the purity of the gospel, right? They were, they were under the, uh, the same teaching. Was being, they were being uh, impacted, I guess you would say, by the same teaching that Jesus did his part, but there are still things you must do. Be circumcised, do all these things. And he says to them, um, in verse 3 of Galatians chapter 5, so he starts chapter 5 in verse 1 by saying that they should stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. In verse 3 he says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. So he's saying, for all of you that are trying to keep these rules and regulations to try to, to try to establish or set up your own righteousness, 
Christ and everything he did has become of no effect to you. Now, does that mean that what Christ did wouldn't be effectual for them to be in heaven? No. That wouldn't even make sense, would it? That mankind could affect what God did? Does that even make sense to anybody today? No. But what he's saying is that, that, the, uh, that what Christ did is no longer effectual in your life because you have fallen from grace. That's what Paul says. You have fallen from the message of grace and the peace and the security and the assurance that comes from the message of grace. Verse 5, Galatians chapter 5, he says, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness. Isn't that our hope? That we will be made righteous through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the work, the monergistic work of God. He says, we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. See, faith, faith, trust, belief in God is the access key to justification for God's people. Not justification before God. We are justified before God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you all agree with that today? That is the only way that you and I are going to stand just, just as if we never sinned, justified before God in his courtroom, on his throne. The only way that unworthy sinners like us will ever be justified is if the blood of Christ has covered us. But when we, when, don't y'all want to experience that justification in this life? When you're ashamed of the things that you've done, you're ashamed of the things that you've said, you're ashamed of the way that you've treated your Savior, (laughs) the things that you should do that you don't do, and the things that you shouldn't do that you find yourself doing. Do y'all ever suffer with guilt and shame? Well, the only way that you can cover that guilt and shame in this life and feel some kind of sweet peace is through faith in Jesus. Listen to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, therefore being justified by faith. What, does, what, 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 what is Paul talking about? What is justification by faith? It is this, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He doesn't say that faith will get you into some kind of grace that you can stand in, but faith, when you place your faith in the sacrificial lamb that God set forth thousands of years ago, the the plan that God orchestrated before the world ever again, when you put your faith into that, you can access the grace wherein you're already standing. Do y'all see that? Y'all ever ever had like, you buy a Microsoft product? And they come with an access key, right? And it's like 12 different digits that you got to type it in. Anybody, somebody's done that work? That's what faith is. <laughs> you've already got the, you've already got the, the, you've already bought the product, right? But you got to have the key to get in and enjoy it. You've already got salvation. You've already got the grace. Heaven's already your home. But faith is your access key to enjoy it, to spend time thinking about it, to understand the the peace and the joy that comes. Uh, through knowing that Jesus was enough for you. Let's go, to, let's go to verse 4 of chapter 10. Remember, he's saying that these people are ignorant of God's righteousness. They're going about to set up their own righteousness, and they've not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He says, Christ, he, he's the fulfillment, he ends 
any, trying to keep any kind of law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Do y'all see that? The problem with these Israelites, the problem that Paul saw in his own family who had a zeal of God, who had been touched by the Spirit of God, was that they weren't truly believing in Jesus for salvation. So, so verse 4 could be paraphrased like this. Once you believe in Christ alone for your salvation, you won't be looking around for anything else to do to try to make you righteous. Because once you see Jesus for who he is and what he's done for you, that's the end of you trying to seek any kind of righteousness through a set of rules or regulations. Do y'all see that today? Let's read a few more verses. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. What, but what saith it? Paul says, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That's important. That is the word of faith which we preach. That, if, if thou, if you shall confess, that is to profess, to own, to, 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 to declare your belief that I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm adhering to someone else for my hope, right? Remember, the problem with them is they had not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God, right? So, some of y'all shook your head that you have problems relinquishing control, Right? How many of y'all have problems submitting to other people? <laughs> right? We do. That's a problem with mankind. But he's saying here, if you'll confess with your mouth, basically what he's saying is if you will submit, because listen to what he says, the Lord Jesus. Y'all see that? The Lord Jesus. See, Jesus isn't just your buddy, and Jesus just isn't a friend. Jesus is Lord. Do y'all understand that? I, there's a, I, I can't remember the, um, the name of it, actually. It was, a, it was a, like a mini-series that they did about the life of Christ. I don't think it was The Chosen. It was a different one. Some of y'all have watched The Chosen, but there's a... There's a scene where the, you know, the wise men are coming to see Jesus, and they're bringing him his gifts. And I'm going to tell you, it impacted me. So here's this young child, Jesus, with his family, and they come off uh, of their camels from this long journey, and the first thing they do is hit their knees and bow. That gives me chills because he is Lord. A lot of our problems in life, come back to the fact that we want to be Lord and we don't want to submit to Jesus being Lord. Do y'all see that? And he says if you want to be saved, if you will confess, declare with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe or trust in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what, right? He says you shall be saved. He says they would be saved from their ignorance of not knowing how their righteousness was actually established. You shall be saved from despair of wondering, did I do it right? 
was I really sincere? What if? What if? What if? You know, if, if, if you believe that you play any role, if there's anything you must do to merit some kind of favor with God or to gain your salvation, then you've given the devil a foothold into your brain to say, what if? What if you weren't sincere? What if you weren't truly repentant? What if? What if? What if? Verse 10 says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, here it is again, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. They won't suffer the shame, the guilt, the guilty conscience. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, when you, when you relinquish control of trying to establish your own righteousness and simply trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, you'll be saved from all those doubts of, did I do it right? You'll be saved from all those doubts of, what if I wasn't sincere? What if my good works don't outweigh my bad works? You'll be saved from all that because you'll truly see Jesus for who he is, your Savior. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. Verse 17, that's where I'll stop. We talked about Scriptures that could seem to indicate um, salvation through, through hearing or preaching. He says in verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now how do we understand this verse? I want to I tell you first of all, you have to understand there's a difference between the grace of faith or the gift of faith in your life and gospel faith or gospel obedience. Those two categories, I guess if you want to say it, or those two distinctions have to be separated and rightly divided for you to understand how the, how the gospel and salvation works, right? Um, so you must first be given the ability to believe before you can ever ex exercise your belief in Jesus. Um, and faith doesn't originate with hearing the word of God. Faith originates from God. It, the Bible says it's a gift of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 2, I believe it is, says that all men have not faith. See, there are people in this world. If you see people on TV or at the, in your school or wherever it may be that that, that, that uh, talking about the gospel or talking about creation or talking about what God is going to do uh, to this world or how he's going to rescue his people or what God has done for his people and that is foolishness unto them, that's an indication that God hasn't given them the faith that he's given you, right? Because faith doesn't originate with you. But faith, he says, so then faith comes by hearing. Faith is activated, if you will. It is drawn out. By hearing the word of God preached, right? 
it, it comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, once again, faith is that access key that God has given unto you to enjoy the gospel and the blessings of it. To enjoy, you don't see, when, 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 when you're around the preaching of the word of God, and that's why it's so important that you spend time listening to the preaching of the word of God, right? Listening, being here on Sundays to, to hear the word of God. Um, spending time in your Bible, learning about the word of God. The, the reason that it's so important is because outside of that, your faith begins to grow dim, right? And become weak. It's like food. The preaching of the gospel is like food for your faith, right? There are some people in this world that, that are so malnourished spiritually that they've lost their faith in God. They've lost their trust in God. They've lost the peace that they once had. You have to add to your, once God gives you faith, Peter talks about adding to your faith certain things so that you don't forget how you were purged from your sins. That can happen to somebody. So when you're around the preaching of the word, it strengthens that because of the faith that God has placed inwardly. Remember, he said it is in your mouth and in your heart, right? You can't place faith in your heart. Only God can. But when you're, when you're hearing the word of God preached, it draws out that faith that God has placed in your heart, and then you're saved from, from trying to establish your own righteousness. You're saved from wondering, how am I going to get to heaven? How am I going to become righteous? And so the faith that Paul is talking about here in verse 17 is, is not a faith in something that you have done or even a faith in your faith. A lot of people have faith in their own faith. Um, what he is saying is that faith is simply a submission that you're, you're giving it all to God. You're submitting to God for your salvation. It all has to be of God. And, and if, if you've experienced that, if you've experienced the peace that comes with that, then I believe you're truly among a minority of people in this world. Um, the, the vast majority of people, even, in, even in, in Christianity, to some degree, to one degree of another, will place some kind of condition upon man to attain salvation. And if you went, if you did like a man on the street segment, <laughs> you went to downtown Birmingham today, and you asked people, uh, you know, why they believe that they are saved. I believe the majority of people would start, and I'm not casting stones, I'm just telling you, I know this is real. The majority of the answers would start with, with this one letter, I. I accepted Jesus. I decided to follow Jesus. I believed in Jesus. I was baptized for Jesus. I kept this commandment. I did that. That's rampant, even among Christians, right? That belief that I did this. So if you're the, if you're, Proverbs 20 and verse 6 says that, that most men, most men, the majority of people will, 
proclaim everyone his own goodness. That's from the word of God. You understand? It says the majority of people will proclaim unto you their own goodness. But then he says, but a faithful man, a man full of faith, who can find? You know what that tells me today? That tells me that, that it, is, it is hard, the minority of people that are just full of faith and not proclaiming some kind of goodness in them is hard to find. But if you can, if you can lay your head on the pillow tonight, and, and, and no matter what you've done, we all know we've made mistakes, we all know we've sinned, we all know we've fallen short of the glory of God, we all know that we're accountable to God, but if you can lay your head on the pillow tonight and just have assurance of your salvation knowing that it is in Christ's hands alone, then you ought to thank God that he showed you that truth. Because there's a lot of saved people today that don't understand how they were saved and are still trying to establish their own righteousness. And I just don't believe that's the truth that Jesus spoke about that will set you free. Do you? See, the truth is supposed to set you free, not put you back into a different kind of bondage. And so, Paul's desire for his brethren should be the same desire that we have for our brethren. That God would open up doors of opportunity for us not to speak of a Jesus that did most of it. Not to speak of a Jesus that offers a way. But that we could speak to them of a Jesus who made a way. Who finished a work. Who successfully saved all on his own. Because if you can tap in through the faith that he's given you into that belief. That's where true peace comes into this world let's pray heavenly father thank you so much for your gospel your gospel of grace that shines light upon the work that you orchestrated before the world ever was knowing that you loved us before we had ever taken our first breath and that you had in covenant with your son and with the spirit had entered into agreement that you would save your people, a people out of every nation, every tongue, every tribe, that you, you by yourself saved us. And the implications of that, that we can rest, not trying to work our way to heaven, but trying to live and be, that, that the just shall live by faith, that you've given us faith that we can live by. So that, so that we can face the storms of life. We can, we can face the temptations. We can face the trials with a happy heart, with a joyful outlook, knowing that Jesus Christ loved us. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your truth. We do pray, God, that you would open up opportunities for us. Send people to us. Send us to people that we can, we can tell them about this Savior who actually saved, who actually redeemed, not with the help of mankind, but all on his own. And what peace that has brought into our life and the freedom that we have in knowing 
But Jesus alone was enough for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn at this time and give an opportunity. If you'd like to come forward and unite with this church, um, you can come forward as we sing a hymn.